welcome listeners and what a delight it is to have you listening with us today. Stanley Kubrick famously said that a film is or should be more like music than like fiction. And who among us hasn't felt the tempo of cinema beating the drum of our hearts? Cinematic crescendos, filmmaker fortes and artistic arpeggios are the soundtrack to cinema. I'm Martina Minow and I'm joined today by a guest that I could listen to all day. A very warm welcome to Diane Dynasty, director of the upcoming movie, The Devil's Advocate Wears Prada. Welcome, Diane, and thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I am so well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Diane, always a pleasure. And tell us, what was the inspiration for The Devil's Advocate Wears Prada? Well, actually, I was, um, I was actually in Beverly Hills one summer and I was doing some shopping along Rodeo Drive and I turned up to um, a, a lovely shop, actually. It was actually Prada. And um, I wasn't met with the, uh, the, the best uh, greetings from the sales staff, actually. Um, but once I'd finally uh, convinced them that I had enough money to be in the shop, <laughs> uh, uh, they were helping me choose between two rather fetching dresses for uh, for an actually an awards ceremony. Yes, Ooh. and um, well. There were two dresses and um, I wasn't sure which one to pick and uh, yeah, that's where the inspiration came from. <laughs> what a conundrum and I can't believe they don't know who you are. You've just had your star on Hollywood Boulevard. Don't they know who Diane Dynasty is? Threatens a lot of them. Um, so Diane, obviously I am a huge fan of your work and I was delighted to be invited to the preview. Thank you. However, not all of our listeners have yet had the pleasure of watching The Devil's Advocate Wears Prada. Could you talk us through the plot? It's a lot about love and loss. I think that's probably the best thing to think about when you're thinking about The, the Devil's Advocate mm. Wears Prada. Um, obviously, you've got the, the main character, Greg, and uh, Greg is the one who, who needs to choose which dress to wear. He doesn't understand, uh, you know, between yeah. colours and things like that. Um, but it isn't until the devil himself shows up at that wonderful shop uh, who, who takes him on an absolutely beautiful adventure in the underworld to get him thinking about the best colours to wear in, uh, in his dress choice. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to give too much away uh, to your listeners, but I feel like that would be enough to, uh, to get them into the cinemas. Oh, I loved it. My favourite line is where Greg says, I need underwear for the underworld. Nearly fell off my chair. Yes, um, yes. Do you have a clip of that moment where the devil and Greg meet? And I just thought cinematically it was fascinating. We're going to cut to that audio now. If I don't find myself a dress for this law case, I'm going to look a laughing stock. Everyone knows it's the dress that wins the case, but being colorblind, I just can't get it right. <laughs> Good morning, Greg. I see you're having a little trouble choosing a dress. I am, but 
just for my sake. Are you the devil? Because you could be red or you could be green. I'm colorblind. <laughs> I am the devil, but I'm also green today because it's the spring festival down in the underworld. So I thought I'd change it up a little. All of the festive torture implements down in hell have little flowers woven round them. <laughs> that sounds surprisingly enticing. Well, would you like to come and see it? You know what? I would. But I need underwear for the underworld. <laughs> so iconic. And I really like the way that you address the nature of being colorblind and, and the challenges that can present when interacting with the devil. It was a nuance I haven't seen in cinema before. Yes, well... I was very concerned about this. My mother is colorblind and she and she oh. has had so many problems. People just really underestimate it. It is a disability. People need to take it seriously. Absolutely. And and I did feel that there were very serious undertones throughout the film. And whilst it is a comedy, it is also a moral imperative to be more inclusive. And I really appreciated that. There were a few frictions, however, Diane Dynasty, I've heard, between you and the costume designer, Cyril Sequin. Now, Cyril, well known in the industry for having a hot temper, but is it true that there was quite a lot of tension between you and Cyril Sequin? Well, the thing is, I appreciate Cyril's hot temper, and I wanted Cyril to be on board for this film, considering a number of scenes take place in the underworld. It's hot down there. So um, I did have to put uh, a few things to the side with uh, Cyril Sequin. He couldn't quite understand the issue with the colorblind uh, aspects of things, and he wanted to really go wild with the, the color choices. But I, I had to explain it to him about the situation, you know, with being colorblind. So this did cause a few problems, uh, particularly um, when we were having uh, coffees and things like that. He did, you know, he did throw a coffee on me at one point. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe he threw a coffee over you. We did actually get a hold of a clip. A, uh, a passerby recorded it in Costa Coffee. I wasn't sure it was you. Now you have just confirmed what a scoop this is for Martina Minow. Suck on that, Rowena Row. We'll cut now to that clip. Cyril, I just don't know if having purely a red and green colour palette would necessarily get across what we're looking to get across. Right, look love, I don't know if you know anything about colours, but everyone loves stark contrast, okay? And I don't care if anyone might not be able to see it, it's for the people who can see it, alright? I want red and I want green, that's a clear thematic colour motif all right and i'm not gonna have some you know what take this gingerbread latte ah! now you're red and green well i shan't be working with cyril sequin again i don't think he is an appropriate collaborator and one shouldn't throw pumpkin or gingerbread lattes at anybody no now diane i was quite moved by some of the motifs of the film, in particular, when Greg and the devil fall in love. 
Can you walk us through the inspiration behind that scene? Where did that come from? Well, actually, when I was 18 years old, I uh, I had a wonderful love affair with an older gentleman. <laughs> yes, and um, he, he had quite a temper on him, you know. Um, but there was just something about that bad boy image. Um, mm. You know, nowadays you might call it gaslighting. Um, but my, myself, you know, I couldn't help myself. I loved him very much. And I appreciated uh, what he would do to me, what he would do to my insides. And I, I, you know, I very much was in love with him. So I felt as though, you know, when writing this, directing this, supporting this whole production, I could see so much of that beautiful man. <laughs> yes, we did have our problems, but I saw so much of that beautiful man in the devil. So um, I felt that it was really appropriate that they, you know, they fall in love, even if just for a moment. Yeah. Oh, the bad boy, or as I like to call them, the mauvais garçon. We will move now to the scene between the Greg and the devil and where they fall in love. I've just, I've never had a dress fit me so well. I feel like Sleeping Beauty coming down the staircase to the beast. Greg, you look radiant. Despite your lack of knowledge of Disney canon, absolutely radiant the way it hugs your shoulders the way it drifts over your hips the way it brushes your ankles you look incredible and though i still don't know if you're red or green i don't care what color you are i just want you to make my insides burn oh greg the only thing i know is that without you the devil is blue Oh, how beautiful. Without you, the devil is blue. Oh, how moving. Yes, it, I, it was all coming from the heart. Uh, that line just came to me one day when I was uh, taking a walk by a beautiful lake. The sky was so blue and, and I felt blue because I wasn't with that man anymore. Have you spoken to him since, Diane? No, obviously he's a toxic male, so I'm absolutely steering well clear of that. Very wise, very wise. They do have a way of getting under the skin, don't they? They do. <laughs> now, obviously, colour has featured prominently in the in the film. Um, lots of references to, to colours and the green-red motif. Is it true that you are being sued by the green giant and the green lantern, who have claimed that they own the colour green? Unfortunately, that is correct, yes. They are trying to take me for everything that I'm worth. <laughs> but we, we must laugh. Uh, we'll get this film out. It will be, it will be absolutely splendid. Yes. And uh, yes, we'll claim that colour green. <laughs> yes, well, I can think of no one more fitting to own the colour green, and I hope that Red Bull back the fuck off as well. Can't be going around <laughs> commandeering colours, can we? Absolutely not. No. So, Diane... I know that this is obviously one of your finest works, but I believe that when you were just a young girl, you started dabbling with, with cinema. Can you talk us through your first motion picture that you made as a small girl? Yes, absolutely. Well, of course. 
a snail's tea party. That's what it was called. I was in the in my garden um, and um, I collected a lot of snails. I put them in my My Little Pony ballerina set. I was uh, hoping that they could all be uh, My Little Pony ballerinas. They were, in fact, snails, of course. Um, but they were having a tremendous time. And um, it wasn't until my tortoise, George, arrived to the tea party and he caused a lot of mayhem. Uh, obviously, no one was walking very fast, um, but it was it was wonderful. It was wonderful, and uh, it was one Sunday afternoon. Uh, the family were round, and um, and we played it on the television. And um, everyone was very pleased for me. And my granddad said, "This is it, darling. This is this is your future right here. This is it. You've got to hold on to that dream. You're going to make movies, my sweet." And uh, here we are now. <laughs> So oh, beautiful. Now, I hope you don't mind, but I've been in touch with your mother, Ms. Dynasty, and she's given us the home footage. Um, I, I don't want to embarrass you. Obviously, you are an Oscar winner and this was your very first work. But would you mind terribly if we were to play it? Oh, goodness gracious, I'm embarrassed. But yes, oh, please do. Please do. And with my utmost thanks to your mother, Ms. Dynasty, let's cut to that home footage right now. a lovely tea party. Yes, it is a lovely tea party. More tea? Snail three? Yes, of course. Snail one. Wait a second. Vicar, what's that coming over the hedge? Why, I, I do believe it's some sort of aggressive creature. Oh, no. Oh, no. Look at its terrible shell, its horrible grasping neck. Look at its beak and its beady eyes. The eyes of a killer, Snail Three. The eyes of a killer. <sighs> it's eating all our lettuce. How very rude indeed. What a ruined tea party this Sunday afternoon. Finn. Oh, just magical. And it really helps me to understand you as a director, seeing these very early origin works. I get the impression, Diane, that family is very important to you. Absolutely, yes. Family and the colour green. Yes. Beautiful things to care about. I did hear a rumour, Diane, that your sister Deirdre auditioned for a part in The Devil's Advocate Wears Prada. But alas, she hasn't quite picked up your creative talents is that true my sister is a dreadful actress and I've told her this numerous times she believes that uh, obviously as we are sisters that she should just claim the rights to any role in my films but I have told her that she is not a very good actress so unfortunately this isn't the the job for her yes yes poor Penelope I did feel for her I watched her audition tape and it was quite the brutal thumbdown you gave her. Penelope, my other sister, yes, absolutely. Yes, she was dreadful too. Um, unfortunately, both of my sisters uh, have not got what it takes to, uh, to, to make it in, uh, in the acting world. We have got the audition tape now. I don't want to humiliate everybody, but it is frightfully good. Perhaps we could cut to that. 
All right, Miss Dynasty and Miss Dynasty, it's uh, unusual to have a, a pair audition, but considering your your sisters, uh, why don't you just go ahead and uh, from from the top with your uh, prepared monologue whenever you're ready. I just want to say that I, Penelope, have um, prepared uh, a like modern Shakespeare just to give a bit of context. Yeah, and I, I, I the other one. Um, have also prepared Shakespeare, but in uh, in dance format. So I'm just going to be bopping around. Yeah, whenever you're ready, Miss Dynasty. To be or not to fucking be, that is the fucking question. Whether it is easier in the fucking mind to suffer the slings and fucking arrows about fucking rageous fortune. I'm just going to stop you there, sister. To borrow a little phrase from your vernacular, what the fuck was that? You know this is my job. This is my profession. You walk in here, you put eight fucks in the middle of one of the most beautiful pieces of dramatic dialogue ever invented, and you think that that entitles you to a position in a Hollywood movie, really? Ever since you insisted upon being uh, Snail Five, you really have been up yourself, haven't you? But listen up, sister. I have some truth for you. You can't act, you can't dance, and you certainly can't have a role in this film. Eight? Fucks is a phenomenal amount of fucks. We don't swear in our family. It's just yeah. not something that we do. It's it's just not something that we do. Mother would be appalled. Unbelievable. Can you believe this? No. Having having seen the tape, I can understand why you didn't put her into your very high caliber film. Now I'm coming to my final question. It's been such a delight, Diane. It really has. I hear rumours that there's another film in the making. Can you confirm? I can confirm, absolutely. We are going to be taking this down the horror route, this second movie. It's all about Ooh. that devil being under your skin. Oh. Yes. It goes a little bit dark, but it was important that we do this. Yes, I've heard it's called The Devil Digs Deeper. Oh, you've... I can't confirm that. I can't confirm that, but... Oh, you... Diane, don't be mad, but I've been in touch with your executive producer and he's given us a sneak preview of the trailer for The Devil Digs Deeper. Now, I won't play it if you don't want us to, but I would dearly love to because Rowena Rowe, she keeps getting the inside scoop on things and I'd really like to kick her face. Oh, please. It would be my absolute pleasure for you to, to, to broadcast it here. Oh, fantastic. Go for it. Yes, please do. Okay, well, dear listeners, inside scoop from Martina Minow, courtesy of Diane Dynasty. Here is the trailer for The Devil Digs Deeper. Small town with a nail salon. A simple woman. Ah, another beautiful day in the nail salon. But underneath the polish, there's a dark secret. <laughs> oh, hello. I'm here for a devil cure. This summer, witness the most horrifying manicure you didn't know you needed. Starring Tristan Vandegrant. Dig deeper. Dig deeper. Susan Van Crump. I don't know if I can. And Christopher Walken. You've got to, Diane. Dig deeper, dig deeper. Oh, 
It's brilliant. I'm biting my nails with anticipation. Oh, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. I'm so excited. Well, I look forward to coming to your preview and Diane, I haven't decided yet whether I'll be wearing red or green. Oh, so much for joining us today. What an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Listeners, I'm sure you'll agree. Diane Dynasty, a national treasure. The Improvised Movie Director podcast featured Sabrina Luisi as Martina Minow with resident improvisers Vicky Hawley and Rory Vieira. With special thanks to today's guest, Rachel Lucy Smith. IMDP is produced and edited by Steve Tanner. Theme music by Matt Brown and Johnny Griffiths. Episode artwork by Marty Sears. 